1: What is up, party people? It's Jake Hughes here. Welcome to the morning briefing for Wednesday, August, Wednesday, January 17th, 2018. As I said, super producer Jake Hughes here in the main driving seat because host Eric Dames feeling just a little under the weather. But today we have a great show for you. We don't stop because of a little illness. We keep on going full steam ahead. Today, we're going to replay the interview that Eric did with Matt Schumann and Joe Plensler of the American Legion. And later on in the show, we're going to be talking to Russell Gray. Now, Russell is a former Mortuary Affairs NCO and is currently working for a very cool organization called Credentialing Opportunities Online or called COOL. <laughs> you, you see what I did there? says so it's, it's called cool, and I I called it cool. I'm 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 terribly sorry. Well, yes, we have a great show for connectingvets.com. Your one-stop shop for all things veteran-related. We are plugged into the veteran community because we are veterans ourselves, or we are veteran adjacent. Follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Follow us on all the big social medias. You'll get the first update whenever we post something new. So, as soon as something happens in the veteran community, you will find out about it because we know we are plugged in. We know what we're doing. Trust me. You can trust me, right? Come on. We're talking about me here. Of course, we know what we're doing. <sighs> I'm sorry. So that was fun thanks for playing that I love that I love that Superman theme It's one of my favorite uh, movie themes of all time It's really cool. I still say that the 1978 Superman is one of my favorite uh, comic book movies of all time that's me though anyway let's take a look about what's going on in the veteran community there is big news coming from the VA. The Department of Veteran Affairs says it will not conduct research into whether medical marijuana could help veterans suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and chronic pain as veteran groups are pushing for the use of the drug as an alternative to opioids and antidepressants. That's been a big push lately. We've had our own uh, Capitol Hill reporter, Matt Saintsing talking about medical marijuana for a while. All the major uh, VSOs, the American Legion, the Veteran Foreign Wars, are pushing well, not maybe not the VFW. No, I'm trying to remember. No, not the VFW. But all the major service organizations, most of them are pushing for medical marijuana. However, in a letter to U.S. Representative Tim Waltz of Minnesota, David Shulkin said that the VA's ability to research medical wa- marijuana is hampered by the fact that the drug is illegal federally. Shulkin says that the VA is dedicated to developing effective ways to help vets cope with PTSD and chronic pain. He writes. However, federal law restricts the VA's ability to conduct research involving medical marijuana or refer veterans to such projects. This was not good news for most veteran service organizations. Veteran groups, including the American Legion, have been pushing for the drug to be studied as a, and used to help the effects of ease ease the effects of PTSD, chronic pain, and other disorders. Nick Etten founder and executive director for the Veterans Cannabis Project, says what America's veterans need prioritized right now is for cannabis to be treated as a health policy issue. We're desperate for solutions for conditions that we are dealing with. Now, here's a twist, something I did not know. John Hudak, who is the deputy director for the Center for Effective Public Management at the Brookings Institution, said that even though marijuana is illegal federally, research on the drug is not permitted. I did not know that. And I'm. Uh, he says that obviously it is federally illegal, but there are no restrictions on doing scientific research on it. Universities do this all the time, and there's a process to go through. He says it's really, he says it's really a cop-out for the VA to say, oh, we're not doing work on this because of federal law. Which, and actually, federal law allows them to do that. Now, I'm not too sure about that because yes, uh, private universities have done research on marijuana, but the VA is a federal agency. So I'm not too sure if the law really applies there. I'd have to check with, uh, when Matt Saintson gets in this morning, I'll ask him. He's more knowledgeable on the subject than me. Shulkin's response was disappointing and unacceptable, says walls, the house committee's ranking member in a statement. He says, the VA's response not only failed to answer our simple question, but they made a disheartening attempt to mislead me, my colleagues, and the veteran community in the process. This is all being reported by the Washington Post, by the by. Walls is a veteran himself and said he plans to send another letter to Shulkin asking for further clarification. In May, Senator Shulkin says that, in my opinion, is is that some of the states have put in appropriate controls. There may be some evidence that this is beginning to be helpful. And we are interested in looking at at that and learning from that. But until the time that federal law changes, we are not able to prescribe medical marijuana for conditions that may be helpful. Now, they can't prescribe it, but can they do studies on it? Like I said, if you'll pardon the pun, uh, the issue with marijuana is very sticky. You see, if if you know any... Any uh, cannabis-using friends, you'll know what sticky means. Anyway. (laughs) Excuse me. Shulkin said the VA is offering a suite of alternative treatments for patients with PTSD, including yoga, meditation, acupuncture, and hypnosis. The letter also said that the VA has a program to reduce the amount of opioids prescribed to patients with chronic pain. Since 2003, Shulkin wrote, 33% fewer patients were receiving opioids. (sighs) Well, you know, here's another little uh, tidbit. President Trump said during his campaign that he supports making medical marijuana available to the very sick. However, the Attorney General Jeff Sessions is a staunch opponent of marijuana. Sessions this month made it easier for prosecutors to enforce federal law in states that legalize marijuana. Now, I'm not one to tell people how to do their job. And full disclosure, I am not a user of medical cannabis. I am not a user of cannabis at all. However, I do have a very dear friend of mine down in Florida that suffers from post-traumatic stress and has some chronic pain. And he uses medical marijuana to um, alleviate his symptoms. Now, obviously, it's not legal in Florida, so he does it a little bit under the table. But he tells me... <clears throat> that using cannabis has greatly reduced his symptoms. And I met him once when I first got out of the Army last year. Uh, First place I went was uh, from Virginia, where I lived, down to Florida to see him for a couple of days. And I got to tell you all, it really made a difference. Like, I could see a visible difference in him from the time when he was in and he couldn't use cannabis to now. And he was just much more energetic, much more outgoing. He could move around better, and it just... It was a visible difference. There was just something in his demeanor that it changed once he started self-medicating. And ah, I know, like I said, it's a sticky subject. And I'm not going to speak on legalization that, like I said, it's, that's for the politicians to decide. But I really, truly think if there's even a sliver of chance that medical marijuana can help the suffering of American veterans, I don't see why the VA isn't moving heaven and earth to try it. It really makes you think, why is Secretary Shulkin so wishy-washy on this subject? I mean, if it is allowed to do research on it federally, I don't see why not. And here's the thing. The reason marijuana is illegal, if you look at the history going way, way back, is because of the hemp industry. But that's like in the 1920s or 10s or something. But the sad thing is that marijuana is now a Schedule One drug. That means it's on the same level as cocaine and heroin. Now here's the rub: heroin is a Schedule One drug, meaning it is highly illegal. However, what does the VA uh, uh, prescribe to patients with chronic pain? Opioids. What are opioids? They're derived from the poppy plant, The same thing as heroin. They're basically giving soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines, and Coast Guardsmen synthetic heroin and saying, here, here's some pills, go have fun. And they did something similar with me. I mean, obviously, I don't suffer from chronic pain, so I don't take opioids. But I, full disclosure, I am on a couple of medications to help me regulate myself. I don't feel any shame in admitting that. But the message I got from the VA several times was, "Okay, here's your pills. Go have fun. You can solve it yourself. There you go." And that's not the way to do it. So, but here's the VA offering. Synthetic heroin, basically, to veterans to ease their problems. And yet this other drug, which may be even more effective if the studies are true. I'm not saying that they are, but if the studies are true, maybe even more effective and help their ease their state of mind. Why aren't they doing it? I don't know, man. It is a very complex issue, and um, we will have to keep looking at it. Okay, there's other big, big news going on in the veteran community. Here's check this out. The Navy has filed criminal charges in connection with the deadly ship collisions last year, including negligent homicide. That's five Navy officers involved in the deadly ship collisions that killed a combined 17 sailors last year will face a variety of criminal charges, including negligent homicide, the Navy said Tuesday night. This is being reported by the Washington Post. The individuals include Commander Bryce Benson and Commander Alfredo J Sanchez, the former captains of the USS Fitzgerald and the USS John S McCain respectively. The Fitzgerald collided off the south coast of Japan with a larger vessel on June 17th, killing seven sailors, while the McCain struck another ship on August 21st near Singapore, killing 10. Three other officers aboard the Fitzgerald will also face charges, Navy Captain Gregory Hicks said, he's a Navy spokesperson. The service did not identify them by name, but they include two lieutenants and one lieutenant junior grade. They and Benson are also facing charges of dereliction of duty and hazarding a vessel. Now, how am I going to put this nice and diplomatically? I agree with this because the, the investigations on these ships showed systemic negligence in that, okay, I'm not in the navy. I've never been on a ship before, but I've talked to Eric who has been on two ships before. He he laments his time on there rather regularly. But um uh, he tells me and I believe that there are always several members of the ship always on watch. There are people on watch all the time looking out for this sort of thing. So you got to think about the the Young sailors on watch all the way up to the commander of the vessel all didn't see giant tankers coming at them because both ships collided with vessels larger than themselves. And there's just so many ways to avoid a ship. They got onboard radar. They got sonar. They got people looking around. And it's that kind of systemic negligence needs to be prosecuted. And I know that... We always look at veterans and the military and say, well, people should be taking things in consideration, like their mental state of mind or something like that. But no, these guys, these guys indirectly caused the deaths of 17 sailors. And I don't, and that's indefensible. In my humble opinion, I'm not speaking for the Navy or speaking for ConnectingVets.com. I'm saying in my personal opinion, you can't, Wash that away. You cannot simply say, oh, well, it was a mistake. We can move on with their lives. I mean, when it first broke, we heard that the commanders were relieved of duty. And my first thought was, that better not be all that they do. Because we all know, all people in the military, we know that sometimes the good old boy system takes over. And what you may be asking, what is the good old boy system? Basically, it's where... People of most of the time higher ranks get close to each other and they sort of watch each other's backs. They cover for each other. Like, here's a good example. I mentioned this before because I think it's a tragically funny story. When I was stationed at Fort Hood in the 2nd and second uh, Battalion, 3rd Armored Cavalry Regiment, Brave Rifles, IEA, I will never say that again. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. Yeah, in the 3rd in the ACR, you don't say HUA, you say Aia, And that got really annoying <laughs> really fast. <laughs> but anyway, while I was in heavy company, we had a 1st sergeant. I cannot remember his name for the life of me. Uh, know, What was it? Was it Nelson? No, 100%, no. I, I Anyway, it doesn't matter what his name is. But he was known to be something of a uh, partier. I heard later from several of the platoon sergeants, that uh, when they would come in for morning meetings before PT, they one time found the first sergeant passed out, hung over on his couch, and just sort of waved them away saying there was no morning meeting. And one of the platoon sergeants had to take the formation for PT. That right there is the wrong answer. But the big one came when he got caught. Here's the, see, (laughs) it's, he tried to do the right thing. He gets an A for effort, he didn't drive drunk. He did not drive on post drunk. However, the person that was driving him was drunk. They were driving drunk in his truck, in the first sergeant's truck. And also, oh, by the way, the guy who was driving and who was drunk was one of his subordinates, was a corporal in our unit. Now, you would think that something like that would be such a horrific Failure of meeting the standard and just poor leadership, that guy would get knocked down. Nope. He didn't even lose rank. He, he got unfrocked, which basically means, if you, okay, if you don't know, in the military, in the army, E8 is both master sergeant and first sergeant. And you get promoted, you're a master sergeant. When you take over a company, you get what's called frocked, which means you put the diamond in the middle and you become a first sergeant. So instead of demoting him, all they did was take away the diamond. And move him to the motor pool. And that's it. It To my knowledge, that is all that happened to him. And that's the good old boy system. That's what happens when, you know, people try to cover for each other. But in this case of the Fitzgerald and the uh, uh, John John S. McCain... There's no excuse for that. You can't wash that away. You can't say, oh, well, you let seven or ten sailors die, but you know what? It was a mistake, so we'll just kind of quietly move you away and retire you. No, you don't get to do that when you cause the deaths of soldiers, or in this case, sailors, under your command. You don't get to do that. There is no way for you to do that. And to hear this, it um, it just... It doesn't warm my heart because I still it's people died and these people are getting harsh punishments, but they deserve punishments because they messed up uh, the potential court court's marshal and the latest fallout to the collisions, which shocked the Navy, prompting Congress congressional hearings that has left the service short of two one point eight billion dollar destroyers. Navy Admiral John M. Richardson, the Chief of Naval Operations, has promised that the service will get back to basics and emphasize the fundamentals of good seamanship. The service announced in November that it had found through internal investigations that both catastrophes were, quote, preventable and occurred due to multiple failure by service members who were standing watch the night of the accidents. So, you see, here's the thing. I am willing to believe at the very least that the commanders weren't on watch that night because let's face it, naval commanders, which are the equivalents of Lieutenant colonels in the army. They don't Lieutenant colonels don't pull CQ. They don't pull stab duty. We all know this. So they were probably asleep in their cabins. So you may be asking, well, what, how can they get charged for negligent homicide if they weren't even on watch in the military? The saying is crap rolls uphill as in when your soldier does, like when I, when I was a non-commissioned officer, if my soldier got in trouble for something, it came down on me, no matter what it was, it could be something as small as losing an item, or it could be something big, like a driving under the influence. It was viewed as a failure of leadership on my part, because if I had been doing my job as a leader, this soldier would not have done what he did. And this right here with the 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 two ships the Fitzgerald and the McCain it shows that these commanders weren't doing the right thing. They were not properly instructing their soldiers or sailors. They were not enforcing standards, they were not enforcing training on how to uh, avoid these types of things and so people and the navy the ships collided and people died. And so like I said crap rolls uphill. Uh, Richardson disclosed at a Pentagon news conference on November 2nd that he assigned Admiral James Frank Caldwell Jr. uh, to serve as a consolidated disposition authority for legal cases related to the collision. The term defines a senior officer who oversees cases that can be both criminal and administrative in nature. The service has already removed numerous people from their jobs as a result of the collision, including Sanchez and his second-in-command on the McCain, Commander Jesse L. Sanchez. On the Fitzgerald, the Navy removed Commander Benson, Commander Sean Babbitt, the ship's number 2 officer, and Command Master Chief Bryce A. Baldwin, its senior enlisted sailor. See, that's my that's my thing right there because we, we know as as veterans and members of the military we know but in case you're listening and you're not in the military it falls on NCOs to do the training point blank NCO training as an NCO's job now what this means is the officers weren't doing their job and making and overseeing the NCOs training which led to the sailors not doing their job properly so this whole situation man is just it really It's really sad. And not just because people died, but and not just because equipment was lost, but because this kind of thing really affects the civilian world's view of the military. I mean, you got to remember, like when I was teaching public affairs in the army, I said, one of you represents all of us. And that's true because people. The general public don't know soldiers. They don't know sailors. They know the Army. They know the Navy. So when they see stuff like this, they they whether they want to or not, assume, wow, that service doesn't know what they're doing. And it's just, like I said, it's really sad because I know the Navy's better than that. I know all the services are better than that. But you really... Uh, it just hurts, you know, I mean, because it makes us look incompetent or not us. I'm not in the military anymore, obviously, but the military look incompetent because, I mean, you got to think of it from a civilian's point of view, someone who's never been in the military, never been in the Navy, never been aboard a ship, none of that stuff. I, If it was me, I look at it and say, well, hey, how could you miss a gigantic tanker ship coming at you? That seems like common sense. And because of this, equipment was lost, people died, and sailors will never come home. And it's really a tragedy. In the August, uh, the Navy removed Vice Admiral Joseph O'Coin, who oversaw its 7th fleet. O'Coin's replacement, Vice Admiral Phil, Phil Sawyer, then removed Rear Admiral Charles Williams and Captain Jeffrey Bennett, who oversaw aspects of the ship's deployment. So you see, I get that. This goes this crap rolls uphill. It goes all the way up to Navy captains, which are like Fulberg colonels. In September, Richardson notified Admiral Scott Swift, the commander of U.S. Pacific Fleet, that he will not be nominated to lead the U.S. Pacific Command, effectively pushing him to retirement. That's an admiral. That's a four star general all the way all the way up, man. The Navy Senior Officer Overseeing Surface Warfare, Vice Admiral Thomas Rowden, is also expected to step down this week ahead of a recommendation that he be removed. <sighs> so let's go on to let's, let's try to brighten the mood a little bit. We're talking about all this, this heavy stuff. Let's talk about what we got coming up on the show. On uh, next, at uh, our next segment, we're going to replay Eric's interview with Matt Schumann and Joe Plensler of the American Legion because it's Wednesday, which means the American Legion. And later on in the show, we're going to be talking to, uh, hang on, (laughs) I'm horrible at my job. We're going to be talking to Russell Gray, a retired tech sergeant from the U.S. Air Force, who is a former Mortuary Affairs NCO and now works for Credentialing Opportunities Online, or COOL. This is a really cool organ... (laughs) I didn't even mean to do that. I'm sorry. (laughs) I won't do that again. It's a very awesome organization and initiative that helps you get credentials online, obviously, for anything. like I went on there and I put in my old MOS, 46 Romeo, public affairs broadcast journalist, and I got a couple of um, uh, answers back. So, you know, like I said, it's not just for people. think uh, You think accreditation or licenses, you think. Welding or something like that. No, there are accreditations and certificates for nearly everything. And if you can't afford a four uh, a four year degree, getting us these days, getting a certificate of competency is almost more valuable than having a four year degree. It's just something that's really, really useful. And. That is cool. I'm sorry. I had to look at something else. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm just I'm all discombobulated today. Anyway, coming up next, we're going to be talking to Matt Schumann and Joe Plenzler of the American Legion, later on Russell Gray from the Cool Initiative. You're listening to the Morning Briefing for Wednesday, January 17th, 2018. We'll be right back. That's a little band called Theocracy for you. That's right. When you get me hosting the show, you get some cool metal to listen to during the transitions because I'm I'm a huge metalhead and I love sharing my passion. Welcome back to the morning briefing for Wednesday, January 17th, 2018. Super producer Jake Hughes here sitting in the driver's seat because host Eric Dame is feeling a little under the weather. So I had to take the show for today. But it's fine. We go full steam ahead. We don't slow down. We just keep on trucking, baby. Then remember to follow us on social media. We are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Follow us to find out, to get the latest information goings on goings-on in the veteran community because we are the veteran community. All of us at this ConnectingVets.com are either veterans or veteran-adjacent. So make sure you stick around. Tune in and find out all the cool stuff. Speaking of cool, did you know that the military, different branches, offer ways for you to get uh, credentialing and licenses online? I did not know that. But I got a guy on the phone who does. We are talking with Russell Gray of the Air Force Credentialing Opportunities Online. Russell, how are you doing today? Russell, can you hear me? Russell, can
0: you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Good morning.
1: Uh, good morning. How are you doing today?
0: Uh, doing well. Thank you very much for having me on.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on. Now, uh, before we get into the COOL program, how about we talk about uh, you for a second? Tell us, uh, when you join the military? What did you do? When did you get out? All that good stuff.
0: Outstanding. Well, I joined the United States Air Force in March of 2000. Uh, and then right after 911 I was activated on Homeland Security uh with the Air National Guard and I went full active duty from there and then I was medically separated from the Air Force in um, March 28th of 2013. I blew two discs in my lower spine, uh, working mortuary affairs and a few other things over in Iraq and a couple other places. Uh, and unable to deploy anymore, it was my time to go and look for different things to do in life. So that's kind of what led me to the path that I'm on.
1: Okay, now tell me a little bit about your transition because I was also medically separated from the military, so I know it can be a bit of a shock. You don't get you don't get as much warning as you do if you retire or if you ETS or something like that. So, how what was your transition like? Was it uh, difficult? Was it easy? What was it like?
0: You're absolutely correct. It was probably one of the scariest things that I've ever been through. Uh, here I was thinking that I had all this military experience and training and that it was going to land me a job on the outside. And I was going to be able to just jump right out there and jump into a job. And I moved my family from Alaska to uh the St. Louis area and I went looking for a job and things just weren't happening. And unfortunately I found myself for a little while, uh, on the unemployment line because I couldn't get a job. And it was so frustrating because I have three boys to take care of and a wife and being the head of a household and not being able to provide for your family. It's very stressful. Uh, but I was thankful to be able to lean toward, uh, programs, uh, like the book rehab from the B.A. and who helped to set me up straight, and then eventually life turned the right course for me, and I headed toward the cool direction.
1: Oh, that's very. uh I you see. Here's the problem. I always call things cool, and I need to. I need to hold that back for this interview because we keep using cool in a different uh, way. So I need to stop doing that.
0: <laughs> no, actually, uh, uh, it, it's great to use Cool. Credentialing Opportunities Online, that's what it's for. Uh, each branch of the service has one. A little bit later on, uh, I'll give you the websites and everything for everybody's uh, different locations. but. Cool is a cool word to use,
1: if you will. <laughs> All right. So tell me, how did you get involved with cool? You said you used uh, the Vogue Rehab at the VA. Uh, how, what path took you to where you are right now?
0: Well, like I said, I I was unemployed for a little bit, and I started using the Voc Rehab program from the BA. It was actually one of my former senior leaders from uh, when I was stationed in Alaska. He gave me a call one day, and he said, hey, what are you doing with yourself right now? And I said, well, kind of on pins and needles, kind of unemployed. And he's like, well, do you got a copy of your resume? And I'm like, yes, sir. I always have a copy of my resume. And I sent it to him, and I had a phone call later that week. About a contract position to come on and help build a new program that was standing up for the Air Force, and I came, I moved, I, I moved on a whim from the Illinois, uh, Missouri area all the way down to Alabama. I got down here and started as a contractor, and then had the opportunity after a year of helping build this new program to become its first director. Uh, Obviously, that's not going to be all of our military members' paths as they leave the service, and that's why COOL is so passionate to me and as it is to the other program leads, because it gives us the opportunity to make sure that we can take care of our service members, our men and women, before they leave the service to make sure that uh, we help that transition be a little smoother for them.
1: All right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now let's get into the meat of this, this now, what ex- credentialing opportunities online, exactly. What is that? Like, what does that mean? What is this program?
0: So the idea behind cool is that we're going to take the job skills that our military members have, and we're going to help pair them with civilian industry recognized credentials and licensures that apply to that job. And now before, we used to get credentials right before we left the service. Uh, that was the idea, especially in the Air Force. You'd go and you'd use your tuition assistance and you'd get credentials and you'd use those uh, to try to get a job. But we changed the mindset of that. We want our military members to get those credentials and licensures earlier in their career, say, uh, as their senior, senior M and then E-4 in the Air Force. We want them to get them in and then we want them to exercise those credentials and licensures over the time period of their military career. That way, when they walk in front of that employer and that employer says, hey, what do you bring to the table besides for all the other applicants that are sitting out in my lobby? Not only have I served in the world's greatest military, but I've also got a civilian industry-recognized credential and licensure that you're looking for. I've exercised it for this amount of years, and guess what? You don't have to pay for it because the military's already done it for me. We help make, and I'll give you a number here. In FY15, we spent $966 million on unemployment. The idea now is to make that $966 million become zero by making sure that our men and women are trained to the skills that they need to be able to compete with their civilian counterparts on day one.
1: Yeah, because that's important because, I mean, if I can get my personal story here, when I first got out, I thought, man, I got all this military experience. It's going to be good. It's going to be awesome. Then I started applying for radio jobs, and I realized that my experience in the military, while good training, wasn't enough. They were looking for something extra, something. Now, the military made you stand out, but they needed something extra to push you over that ledge. Now, what kind of credentials can you get from this program? Like, is it? Anything specific, or is it just anything you can get?
0: Well, East France does it a little bit differently, but the credentials are just about the same. Uh, I'll speak to how we do it on the Air Force side. Uh, we align it to what the, the jobs that the military members are doing. So say uh, with me being a services guy, uh, working mortuary affairs, working food, lodging, uh, readiness, I can get those types of credentials. Also, if I was a senior enlisted leader uh, in E7 or above, I can get leadership and management credentials like Six Sigma, project management, professional, certified manager. Uh, I can work on the PHR and the STHR if that's in my career field. Uh, and those are those those gaps that you were talking about that helps take that member and separate them from being just a military member to being a military member that the civilian industry needs
1: wow that's that's again i gotta stop saying that's cool, but it is cool and uh <laughs> <laughs> I I apologize. My own vernacular is getting a hold of me now. Um, I now because I was a member of the world's greatest army, the Superior Branch. No offense. No, you know, don't don't take it the wrong way, Mister uh, Golf Course Air Force. Whatever. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
0: You'll always love
1: the air force when you deploy. Yeah. Oh, oh yes. Yes we do. Cause we love to hang out in their barracks. They got better living conditions than we do. But anyway, so I'm on the army's website and it's really cool. I can, I put in my MOS, my job rate, and it gives me this uh-huh. list of all these different, uh, certifications I need, like, uh, Adobe Photoshop, uh, Apple F- pro final cut, all this other cool stuff. Now, uh, how does funding handle, like, like, is there a limit to how many credentials you can get, or can you just keep on trucking the entire time you're in the military?
0: So, like I said, each branch does it a little differently. The way the Air Force does it on our side of the house is we give every enlisted member a $4,500 lifetime cap. But with that cap, you're allowed to get as many civilian industry-recognized credentials and licenses as you can fit within there. We also took it a step further. We're going to allow you to have your prep courses, your study materials, your uh, recertification, admin, and application fees all paid for. And the best part about it, if for some reason that number happens to fail, they're not required to pay us back. What they are required to do is give us their grades to make sure that we can show proof that this program is working for other service members. So that's how we kind of tuned it for the Air Force members. Okay. Now...
1: We may have answered this already, but I want to ask specifically, why do you think that the COOL program is so important? Like, I mean, there are other ways that people can get uh, accreditations and stuff like that. What makes COOL that step above everything else?
0: Well, first you want to start and you want to consider it like this. Most people, when they say accreditation or certification or certificate programs, they get those all tied in together. So An accreditation is by a body, a credentialing body that says, hey, this uh, program is good to go. So that's what an accreditation is. A certification means that you can do that job. A certificate program, uh, say you attended a training seminar, and at the end they give you a certificate that says, hey, I attended, I'm good to go. But that certification or licensure is what we want our military members to obtain we want them to get those early in their military career because when they leave the service and they go to look for those civilian industry jobs they're competing they're competing against ladies and gentlemen who have come out of four-year universities who've talked the lingo of the civilian industry for X amount of time. They don't speak the same jargon that our military members do, so they automatically have a leg up on our military members. Sure, our military members have the discipline and training that those those providers are going to want, but a lot of the civilian industry partners now are not prior military, so they're not going to know to look for those things on day one. Those military members coming into those jobs with those certifications on their resume, now it's no longer looking at a resume and saying, I really see you did a lot of good stuff in your service, but I have no idea what it is you did. Now we turn that over to, oh, I see you've got a project management professional certification behind you. That's exactly what we need here in our job. So we're turning the tide on, on how civilian industry looks at our military members as they transition from the service.
1: Yeah, and again, that's important because we talk often on this show about the difficulties of translating military service into a civilian resume because you have to change the entire language, you have to change the entire thought process because civilian employers don't think the way military... Does like, like, if I like in the military, it's easy. I show my list of records brief, they know everything about me. Okay, I like you, you're hired. But in the civilian world, it's really all about the paper, it's about the the college degree, the certifications, the licensure, and all that stuff.
0: Correct, absolutely.
1: Now, uh, tell me, are there any, what is the process for? getting enrolled in this program like uh, how does an airman go about getting their certifications
0: so an airman uh, on the air force side first thing they're going to do is they're going to go to afbec.langley.af.mil the air force virtual education center which is uh, what they're usually pretty familiar with They're going to log in and find a credential that's associated with their AFSC and that they're interested in. They're going to make sure that they meet the eligibility, and there will be a green button there that says make this my educational goal. They'll select that button. It's going to go to their supervisor and make sure that they meet all the requirements to be able to go after that credential. Once they do that, they'll go back in the same system and create a funding request, It comes over to our office down at uh, Maxwell Gunner Air Force Base. We'll review it and make sure that the information is correct and accurate and that they do meet qualifications. We'll send it to our purchasing agents. Our purchasing agents will pull out their credit card, make the payment on behalf of the member, and shoot them an email that they're ready to go test or take their prep course. The member completes it. They send us their grade. We upload it into the system, and they're ready to go all over again. I tell you, we can do that entire process. We've done it in less than 15 minutes.
1: Wow, really? When you think about government programs, you're thinking these big obtuse machine that takes days and weeks and months to program things. You can really do it that quickly?
0: We can, and and that's uh, especially for our Guard and Reserve members because for them to be able to utilize the program, they're on a very tight Time frame as it is, uh, being on title 10 or title 32, 502 F orders. So they're only going to be on orders for, for so long. So uh, we can move it that fast to typically move it fast. No, because you've got to realize there's other, uh, other hurdles that have to be jumped through sometimes with the members funding requests, but we can do it that fast. If, if the situation arises,
1: Okay, you actually stole my question. I was going I was going to ask what about reservists in the National Guard? Uh what about them or what do they have they have to go through certain other hoops to get to the program?
0: Uh their biggest thing is making sure they're on that Title 10 or Title 32 502F folders. But actually, right now, we are working with the Air Force Reserve Command and a few other commands to try to move this program to where our traditional Guard and Reserves can utilize this program when they're not on Title 10 or Title 32 orders. Uh, That has been a huge goal of this program since the very beginning, since we launched in uh, 2015, uh, making sure that we can take care of all of our service members together, and we're moving toward that direction right now.
1: All right. Awesome. Now, are there any uh, prerequisites to this program? Like, do you have to meet certain criteria or something, or is it literally any airman that wants to join?
0: Uh, it depends on the program. Um, if you're looking for, say, the airframe and power plant license, do you have to have the FAA's requirements, the FAA Form 8610-2, or what our aircraft maintainers know as their ticket to test. Uh, for the project management professional, you have to prove to them so many hours that you've completed a project that you have to do. As far as requirements that everyone has to meet on our side of the board, it's the same as if they were taking MILTA. ta You have to have a passing PT test, no control roster, no referral UIF or referral EPR. Um, like I said, the Title 10, Title 32, 502F orders for our Guard and Reserve members. And you have to complete the program while you're on active duty status.
1: Okay, so this isn't anything for veterans. You have to do this while you're in the service.
0: Correct. This is full, this is designed for the members while they're still on active duty service. Um, there is great programs that the VA offers that are similar to what COOL does. Uh, but this program was designed uh, by the NDA in 2012 that basically said that service members, while they were still active, have the ability to obtain civilian industry credentials and licensures to be able to make sure that they were ready for that transition when they left the service. Awesome. Now, I know there are other
1: ways that people can get educated through the military, like there's the GI Bill, but what about things like tuition assistance? Does that factor into their, uh, their qualifications for the COOL program at all?
0: uh absolutely not as a matter of fact the tuition assistant side of the house is totally separate from cool so uh that your average member is going to have your $4500 a year that they have for tuition assistance that money is never going to cross over into their cool cap so they can actually be pursuing their bachelor's and master's degree at the same time that they're going after that project management professional credential uh the two the two sides never talk so the funds are separated and that's a Definitely a plus for our military members. Right, right.
1: I can imagine it is. Now, what am I trying to say here? What Does the COOL program uh, help out, like, pay for stuff for, like, studying for tests, or does it just pay for the test itself? Like, can someone, like, ask if they can, you know, get reimbursement for a study guide or something like that?
0: So, and again, this is where I say each service does it a little bit differently. The Air Force is the first one that stepped out on the limb here on this. Uh, And we started paying for study materials and preparatory courses and books and items like that. So instead of doing a reimbursement process, just the same way that a member would do a funding request for an exam, they can also do a funding request for study material. And we'll go ahead and allow them to put preparatory courses, uh, books, coursework. Uh, We won't pay for things like laptops or hardware items like that but we will pay for the necessities for them to be able to prepare themselves and fill that gap that they're missing to be able to take that civilian industry credential or licensure.
1: Okay. Now let's go to something on the darker side. Well, not darker, but something a little less bright. I don't know. What am I saying? Anyway, <laughs> say someone is enrolled in COOL and they take an exam and and they fail it. Are there any like repercussions? like does it affect their ability to get other credentialings or anything like that?
0: No. If the member fails an exam through Cool, they just got to turn their grades into us, pass or fail. Uh, once they turn those grades into us, we'll upload it into the system and clear that goal out. Now Cool will not turn around and pay for the same exact credential again. Uh, but we will allow a member to go and seek another credential. Maybe that credential just wasn't the right fit for them, but we're not going to hold them back uh, just because they have a failing grade in one. Maybe that just wasn't the direction they needed to go, and maybe there's something better out there for them. So uh failing grade, you're not. it's not going to keep you from being able to do other credentials, but you do need to turn your grades into us in order to be able to proceed forward. Okay. Uh, let me ask you this. Does... Say, I'm
1: going to qualify, I do a certification, I get that, and that counts towards college credit. Does that like, will I receive, can I receive college credit for being credentialed?
0: Uh, you actually can. Uh, the Air Force side, we have the Community College of the Air Force, uh, which is actually the largest community college system in the entire world. Um, and we do award college credit that's recognized by uh, SACS, the Southern Association of Colleges and Schools, the same people that recognize Florida, Georgia, Alabama. Uh, We're recognized by that same organization. And so we can give college credit for those certifications and licensures. Case in point, that airframe and power plant, again, that we were talking about previously. You go and complete your A&P license, you bring back your certification and show proof to the Community College of the Air Force. That's 30 semester hours that you can have added toward your degree plan.
1: Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot of stuff. Okay. Now let me ask you a personal question. How does it feel or what feelings do you get knowing that you're helping these airmen, uh, achieve things that will help in their career? Do you get like a special feeling from it or does it make you feel good?
0: I'm humbled. Uh, because someone gave me the opportunity to be able to step into this limelight. And every day that I'm able to wake up and help an airman or help uh, an airman's family because they've been able to get a credential or licensure, it means that much more to me because I know that there's still troops of mine that are out there in the Air Force still serving peers that I served beside in combat zones and at home station that are able to take advantage of this. And it means the world to me that, that not only the Air Force side, but DODY through all of the branches of the COOL uh, program, the Joint COOL Arm, uh, that we're able to reach back out and help our fellow service members. So it means the world to me.
1: Okay. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, so tell us, if people want to learn more about the COOL program, where can they go?
0: Well, I'll tell you, uh, I already gave you the one for the Air Force side, the aftech.langley.af.mil. If you're uh, rolling with the Army guys, it's www.cool.army.mil. And if you're looking Navy and Marine Corps, it's www.cool.navy.mil. And you can find a wealth of information on any of those sites that will help you uh, lead to where you want to go. Also, uh, when you were talking earlier about setting up resumes and how to transition those military skill sets over, I would throw a punch out there for the Department of Labor's ONET site, which is a great connection point that all of our our service links connect to. Uh, it can take your military job and take that credential that you're going after and show you how it breaks down to what's required in that civilian sector. So it's a great resource to utilize as well.
1: All right. Well, Russell Gray from the Air Force Cool Program, thank you so, so much for being on the show. This was a great interview. You were very informative. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for having me, and y'all have a wonderful day. You too, Russell.
1: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to The Morning Briefing here on ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every single day. We're almost out of time, but I want to remind you to follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. We are on all the social medias, man. Follow us tomorrow. Eric should be here, but if he's not, you get to roll with me again. Ain't you just so lucky? Morning Briefing for uh, January 17th, 2018. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.